Welcome to those of you who are joining us uh, online via live stream this morning, as well as those who are here with us in the building this morning. If you're new to New Life and we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Chris. I get to be uh, one of the pastors here at New Life Community Church. We are in a series through the Old Testament book of Daniel. So if you have a Bible in your lap or maybe on your phone on an app, go ahead and head there. Daniel, Old Testament book, chapter 10. That's where we're going to hang out. Uh, together uh, this morning. So we have this week and next week we'll kind of wrap it up. We'll put a bow on the series. And then two weeks from today, we're going to launch a new series called We Believe. And I'll have a little bit more to share about that with you uh, next week as we finish up the book of Daniel. Now, I wonder, have you ever kind of looked around the world and asked yourself the question, what's wrong with the world? Have you, ever, have you ever just had a moment like, like maybe you had a moment like that this morning, uh, maybe, maybe even in the past week, you just had that moment where you just kind of look around at the happenings, maybe in our own community or, or perhaps across the world, and you just have to ask yourself the question, like, what happened? Like, what, where did we go wrong? What, like, why, why is everything so broken? Like, why is there so much pain? Why is there so much suffering? Why, why do little kids get cancer and die? Why is having a healthy marriage so dadgum hard most of the time? Like, why, why do weeds grow in my flower beds? Like two days after I spend three hours cleaning them out and I walk out and there's just more weeds. Like, God, why? It, it doesn't take a rocket scientist, and I don't even think it takes someone who loves Jesus to understand that there's something broken in this creation, this world that we live in. In fact, I, I went, on, I think it was Wednesday, and I just jotted down some headlines. So I hit up, like all the major news sources, CNN, Fox, CNBC, BBC. And I just want to read you some of the headlines from one day this week, and we wonder why we're depressed, right? So here, here we go. Just a few headlines from one day this week. Ukraine investigating over 21,000 war crimes. Gas prices could surge to apocalyptic levels very soon. I thought we were there, but apparently we're not. Uh, my favorite, the U.S. economy is a flaming dumpster fire. That's encouraging. FBI Director and MI5 Chief raise alarm over China spying. Jury finds Eric Holder guilty of first-degree murder. Daughter told mom, I love you, one last time before a stranger told her to keep running. Parade gunmen considered second attack in another city. Asheville police say two explosive devices were detonated as people were leaving the 4th of July fireworks show downtown. A two-year-old orphaned in shooting was shielding, shielded by father as the wounded man lay dying. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? You feeling uplifted? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father. Listen, life is hard. This world is broken. And if it feels like at times there are forces working against you in this life, maybe you're not crazy. And in fact, might I suggest that if it feels like there are forces working against you in life, in your relationships, with your kids, in your marriage, maybe it's because there are invisible forces waging war against God's creation and against you personally. Are you, are you saying, Chris, that... Um, that you believe in the supernatural, like weird, crazy things like demons and angels and, yes. Yes, I am. In fact, the entire Bible from cover to cover speaks of an unseen realm 
that is every bit as real as anything that you and I can see with our physical eyes. In fact, Jesus believed in the supernatural and engaged it in the gospels on a very consistent basis. So yes, I do believe in an unseen spiritual realm that does interact with our physical realm in our everyday lives. Abraham uh, Kuyper, a brilliant uh, theologian, prime minister of the Netherlands, died about 100 years ago. He had, he had this to say about this. I think it's helpful for us. I'll put this quote on the screens for you. Kuyper writes this. If once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range that the fiercest battle fought on earth would seem by comparison a mere game. Not here, but up there, that is where the real conflict is waged, our earthly struggle drones in its backlash. Daniel chapter 10 is going to pull back that curtain for us just a little bit this morning and give us a glimpse into this invisible war that the Bible so consistently talks about. And so if you have a Bible, I hope you're in Daniel 10 by now. And I think, I think not only is Daniel 10 gonna kind of pull back that curtain and allow us to see a lit, just, a, just a glimpse into that invisible war, but Daniel 10 is also gonna give us some tools and equip us uh, to fight in this battle that is waging all around us. But before we dive in, would you pause with me and, and pray? Ask God to, to help us as we engage his word this morning. God, we, we ask that you would help us now as we engage your word, Holy Spirit. We invite you to, to come to this place that you would be present, not only in this room, but that you would be present in our hearts, Father. You, would you illuminate our minds? Would you open our hearts? Would you give us understanding to unseen things? things that many people in our world would laugh at, would mock us for believing in, but that are very much real. And so God, would you help our hearts to believe? Would you help us to apply these truths that we find in Daniel chapter 10 to our lives in a way that would allow us to more effectively engage the invisible war that is being waged all around us, even the things that we can't see? Would you equip us? Would you make us the men and women that you want us to be? by the power of your spirit, through your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, chapter 10, starting in verse one on the screens for you if you don't have a Bible. It says this, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. Now you remember early on in the book of Daniel, his given name is Daniel, right? It had a spiritual significance. It tied him to the God of the Bible. He goes to Babylon. He's given this Babylonian name that's tied to the false gods of Babylon. And so Daniel had a choice to make every single day of his life. And I think it's a choice that we all have to make in every single day of our lives. He had to decide, am I going to be who God has called me to be, who he says I am, or am I going to choose to be who the world says I am. And I think we have the same decision in front of us every single day of our lives. Are we going to be who God has created us to be? Is that going to be our identity? Or are we going to be what the world says that we ought to be? Are you going to be Daniel? Or are you going to be Belteshazzar? And the word was true, says, and it was a great conflict. Your translations say, may, may say it was a great war. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. So, so 21 days, there's this period of, of mourning that Daniel ha had embarked on. I ate no delicacies for these three weeks. No meat or wine entered my mouth, 
nor did I uh, anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. Now, just a little bit of historical background here. Uh, under King Cyrus of the Persian Empire, the, the very first Jews were allowed to go back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild the temple after 70 years of exile. Now, it wasn't long, only about a year or two after they got back and began to rebuild the temple that they encountered fierce resistance from people groups who had settled in that area. In fact, the resistance was so fierce that they had to cease the rebuilding of the temple for 15 to 16 years. This is likely why Daniel is mourning, why he's so sad when we get to Daniel chapter 10, right? Daniel has prayed for God's deliverance for 70 years. Now remember, he was taken captive back to Babylon when he was just a teenager, like 15, 16, 17 years old. By this point in time, scholars believe he's probably close to 90 years old. So from the time he was 15 or 16, he's been praying this prayer, God, let us go back. Would you, would you free us from the bonds of slavery? Would you let us go back to the Holy Land and rebuild a temple so that we can worship you freely? He's been praying for 70 years. Finally, it happens, and now there are more obstacles his heart is, is heavy, and I wonder how many of you have been there in your life, right, where you, you pray for something fervently, God answers your prayer, he shows up, he gives you what you ask for, and even that answered prayer seems to bring more obstacles in your life. Married folks, don't, don't look at your spouse. Parents, right, like, man, I can't wait till I get a little junior here, man, we're going to go fishing there, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome, and six months in, you're sleep deprived, look like you got hit by a train, you're like, man, what was I, why did I pray for that, right, homeowners, you think, man, if I could just get out of this apartment and own my own place, it's going to be awesome, and then your roof, roof starts to leak, $10,000, and you got no landlord to call, you're like, man, why, why did I pray for that, real life, listen, guys, real life is real hard even after answered prayers, that's exactly where Daniel's at. Some of you probably can relate to that even this week. I know I, know I can. Now, there's, there's another really important and maybe even subtle truth that I think we, we ought not miss here. Daniel is heartbroken over the suffering of his brothers and sisters in the faith. Now, now you gotta realize, for Daniel, personally, like things are going pretty well in chapter 10. He's comfortable. He's, he's a, a top advisor to King Cyrus, like the most powerful dude on the planet and the most powerful kingdom on, in, in the earth. He undoubtedly has some access to, to, to a measure of wealth, right? We see that it was his custom to eat meat and delicacies and, and, and drink wine. That's why he's fasting from all those things. So he was living a, a pretty comfortable life as a high-level influencer in the Persian Empire. But he's absolutely devastated, even though things are going well for him personally, because his people are suffering, and I think this is probably a good reminder for us as the American church today that as the family of Christ, we are one global body. We're, we're one family, and when any of us suffer, we all ought to suffer. Now, here's the, here's the global reality. Some of you are aware of this. Some of you, maybe not. Here's, here's the global reality. Uh, much of our spiritual family today, in 2022, spread across the world, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ across the world are suffering greatly today because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and I'm not talking about kind of the, the low-level type of persecution that, 
that you and I may face in the United States of America today, like you're getting made fun of or mocked by your classmates at school, or maybe you're getting passed over for promotions at your job because of what you believe about gender and sexuality and all kinds of things that Christians have believed for thousands of years. I'm not talking about that kind of low-level persecution. I'm talking violent persecution. I'm talking imprisonment, right, where you don't see your spouse for five, 10, 15 years, if ever at all. Torture, death. There's a website called opendoors.com that, that tracks global Christian uh, persecution against the church. And I wanna just share a few stats with you about it uh, if you're not aware of what's going on. So according to Open Doors, over 340 million Christians, that's more than the entire population of the United States. Over 340 million Christians are living in places today where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. Last year, the last, in the last 12 months, four, and this is just what we know about, what's reported, 4,761 Christians have been killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. Almost 5,000, that's only what we know about. Any other, any other instance if this was happening, it would be called genocide, right, or religious persecution. 4,488 churches and other Christian buildings have been attacked, many of them uh, burned to the ground just in the last year alone. 4,277 believers have been detained within the last year, and this is, again, probably a fraction of what's out there. This is what we know about. Almost 4,300 believers have been detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. That's happening today to our brothers and sisters in Christ, the people that we will spend eternity with. Believer, we must not forget our brothers and sisters in Christ who suffer greatly today. Like Daniel, our hearts should be broken for them. We ought to be continuously lifting them up to the Father in prayer. And shame on us, shame on me for not doing that more consistently. Daniel gives us a pattern, a model here, that our hearts should be broken for our spiritual family. And so his heart is so broken, he's, he's actually engaging in a, in a three-week fast. It says he's fasting from delicacies. I don't know what that meant 2,500 years ago. For me, it'd be like no waffle fries. I'm gonna cut out the good delicacies of life. Um, no, no meat, he says. That's a bummer. Uh, no wine. No oil for his skin. So that in our context, that would be like you know putting on lotion, which in a dry, arid environment would have been pretty essential, right? So you know it's bad. When you have dry, itchy skin, you won't even put lotion on. So no waffle fries, no lotion for three weeks. Sounds rough. That's what Daniel's doing. His heart is broken. Daniel's response, I think, is the correct response. Right? Times are hard. His heart is heavy. Where, where does Daniel turn? Like so many of us in our culture today, does he turn to food therapy? Right? And my hand is up. I'm guilty of that. Right? Have a, a tough week, a tough month, and sometimes, man, I, I know I'm going to regret it, but I just got to go get that bacon cheeseburger at Five Guys. You know? I don't know why we got to have a Five Guys so close to the church, but it's just right down the road. It's calling my name. And I know I'm gonna pay for it three hours later, and I know I'm gonna regret it. I'm gonna spend three weeks in the gym trying to, trying to work that thing off. But sometimes, man, it just for that moment, for 10 minutes, it feels really, really good. So most run to, to, to food therapy. Others, uh, others of us may run to, to drink therapy, wine therapy, or maybe retail therapy, what, what, whatever it is, or perhaps maybe a, a secret addiction, addiction like pornography or something like that. Where, where does Daniel run? 
Does he turn to any of those things that our culture tends to run to, to, to fix, to satisfy, to bring comfort? No, he runs directly to God. He fasts and he prays. Why? Because Daniel knows the only one who has the power to intervene in time and history. And so here's the first truth this morning. If you're a note taker, write this down. It'll be on the screens for you. Believer, when life gets hard, we have to learn how to run to God first. That's gotta be our first instinct. Now that sounds so elementary, but here's what I've discovered in my own heart as I've walked with Jesus for over 20 years now. Most of my struggles spiritually are not a knowledge deficiency. Most of my struggles spiritually happen because I have an application deficiency. And that's why the book of Daniel reminds us of all these core truths, and I need to be reminded, and you probably need to be reminded of all these core truths. Your initial instinct, if you're a follower of Jesus, when things get hard in life, needs to be to run to God, not to run to lowercase g gods, whether it's food or wine or sex or porn or whatever it is. So Daniel teaches us this truth. Look at verse 4. It continues on, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris River, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl. This is like a flashing gemstone, very impressive, I understand, to look at. His face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like a sound of a multitude. Now, you need to know this. Scholars debate fiercely whether the supernatural being who we get introduced to right here is an angel, like uh, most likely Gabriel, or whether this is a Christophany, right? A, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, like we saw back in Daniel chapter three in the fiery furnace where there's a fourth person in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we learned that that's a Christophany, that was Jesus with them. So there's a lot of debate. Is this an angel? Is this Jesus? Uh, pre-incarnate form, you can make your own determination. I, I believe it's an angel. I believe it's, it's likely a Gabriel. Uh, for, mainly because we're about to see that this angel isn't nearly as powerful as we, we know Jesus to be. So let, let's move on in verse seven. It says, and I, Daniel, I alone saw the vision for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them and they fled to hide themselves. So they just hear the commotion. They're freaked out by this supernatural being. They don't even get to see the vision. They're, they're, they're taken off. Verse eight, so I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So Daniel, already weakened from weeks of fasting, encounters this angelic being, and it's just too much for him to handle. Right? He's out like a light. He just hits the floor. Uh, this is this is scary, understandably so. This is a scary moment for Daniel. I Remember just a, a couple of months ago, I, I woke up at like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning and stumbling out of my bedroom, going to the kitchen to grab a, a glass of water or, or something like that. And for, for a brief second, it looked like um, there was a man standing in my, in my living room. It tur turns out that somebody just left the vacuum cleaner out and ha hadn't put it up, but there was this long skinny thing standing in the corner and, and I immediately go into like, Kung, kung fu self-defense mode and I'm thinking like you know adrenaline's rushing like there's some dude standing in my living room at three o'clock in the morning about to have to have a cage fight right here everybody's asleep and so automatically 
I'm going into stress mode. Most of us have had experiences like that where, man, if we're, if we're scared of a vacuum cleaner at two o'clock in the morning, imagine Daniel encountering this supernatural being who's speaking to him. And so we can't blame him for, for passing out in his weakened state at this point in time. He's, he's, he's really just kind of freaked out by this whole thing. Daniel is not, he's not okay in this moment. Daniel is simultaneously a faithful, fearful, and prayerful man, and I find, I find great comfort in that. They go, well, what a model for us. It is possible to be faithful, fa- fearful, and prayerful at the same time. And that leads us to the, the second uh, main point this morning. I'll put it on the screens for you. We've said this before a lot, but I'm gonna say it again. It's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. It's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. Now listen, some of you guys need to hear that this morning. It's okay that you're not okay this morning. What's not okay is for you to park there and then live in that place for the rest of your life. God takes us where he finds us, but he never leaves us where he found us. And so yes, it's okay to be scared. It's okay if you're disappointed that life hasn't turned out the way that you hoped it would this morning. But when that happens, like Daniel, we have to learn to train our hearts to run to God, not to other stuff. And allow him to speak life and hope and revive our hearts and our souls so that we can then get up and charge forward in life. He makes us okay. When you're not okay, he makes us okay. God hears our prayers and he actually answers our prayers. This is an incredible thing. Look at verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So Daniel is passed out, uh, face down on the floor. The, a hand of the angel touches him, lifts him up. So now he's on his hands and his knees, but he's trembling. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. Now you remember an angel that said this exact same phrase to Daniel in chapter nine. Apparently it's important to God that we know that we are greatly loved. He said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you. And what he had spoken, or, or, and when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. So he's gone from laying flat on his face to trembling on his knees and his hands, and now he's standing up on his own two feet, and he's still trembling. Verse 12, then he said to me, fear not. By the way, church family, the number one command in the Bible, fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. Guys, our prayers are heard by the God of the universe. This is an amazing truth. And I have come because of your words. Daniel's prayer activated the response from God. What a lesson for you and I today. Verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, as we're gonna see in a minute, uh, this is not an earthly king, this is not a fleshly king, this is not a man, this is a, a spiritual demonic power. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, this is the angel, the messenger, for 21 days. But Michael, another angel, one of the chief princes, came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is about to happen to your people in the latter days for the vision is for the days yet to come. Now this is astonishing, church family. This angel wakes Daniel up, tells him to stand up, and he goes, hey, listen, Daniel, I want you to know, first of all, that you are greatly loved by God. I, I know things seem hard right now. I know that you're scared right now. I know that things seem hopeless right now, but, but I need you to know that God loves you deeply. I need you to know that I need that to sink deeply into your heart. And I also want you to know that God has heard your prayer. 
In fact, he sent me, the moment that you started praying, God sent me to answer your prayer, but I was held up for 21 days by the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, scholars believe almost unanimously that this, king, this prince of the kingdom of Persia is actually a demonic, territorial, spiritual being. It does seem that in the spiritual realm, there are demonic forces that, that, that seem to be assigned to geographical areas. Now, that sounds weird to us as educated Westerners, but again, this is, this is the word of God. In fact, I would say that we, Cheryl and I, we experienced this in Southeast Asia. We lived on the main island. We traveled to a, a neighboring island for, for a conference, and we were walking around one morning, and we noticed that there were these incredible, lavish uh, plates full of tropical fruit and beautiful flowers that were set on the front porch of every single house and apartment building. So we just kind of like, man, what, what's up with that? Why, is there, why are these exotic, beautiful plates of flowers and food set out on every single doorstep? And so we asked one of the locals, and they said, yeah, that's, it's to appease the local spirits. It's so that the local spirits don't come into their house at night and do evil things to them or harm their children. This is a way that they appease the local spirits. In the city that we lived in, a city of uh, four million people, there was a, a well-known evil spirit there, and everybody described the evil spirit as, as looking the same exact way. You could talk to educated people, college educated, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen him many times, this is what he looks like, this is what he does, this is what we do to try to ward off evil and all this kind of thing. In fact, we had, we had some friends, some missionary friends there that were from right up the road in, in Boone, and in the middle of the night, he saw the thing. And he was like, yep, is it, he looked exactly like what all the locals described. Listen, church, I could tell you stories that would make it really hard for you to sleep tonight. You say, Chris, man, do you, do you really expect me in 2022 to believe in the supernatural, man, like angels and demons and spiritual warfare? Like, you seem semi-intelligent. You expect me to believe all that? Yes, I do. I have seen and heard too much with my own eyes and my own ears. Plus, the biblical narrative from the very beginning introduces us without apology to a very real, very active spiritual realm that interacts with our physical world. In fact, we go all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis, chapter three, verse 15. In the ashes of the fall, you may recall, God makes Eve a promise that one day one of her descendants would wage war against the serpent, right, the devil, and eventually crush his head, even though her descendant would be wounded in the battle. This reality of the supernatural is just encoded into the DNA of our Christian faith. There's no escaping it. Jesus himself believed in the supernatural. He interacted with demons frequently, right? Casting them out of people, commanding them to leave. And so here's the next uh, big idea on the screens for you, and this is an important one. Ignoring the supernatural will cripple you spiritually. Ignoring the supernatural will absolutely cripple you spiritually. John Calvin, one of the uh, church reformers, uh, nails it with, with this writing. This will be on the screens for you. Calvin says this, we have been forewarned that an enemy relentlessly threatens us. An enemy who is the very embodiment of rash boldness, of military prowess, of crafty wiles, of untiring zeal and haste, of every conceivable weapon and of skill in the science of warfare. We must then bend our every effort to this goal. Let us not be overwhelmed by carelessness or faint-heartedness but with courage rekindled, let us stand our ground in combat. 
Now, church family, here, here's what I've observed as someone who has lived all over the world from the time I was five years old. This is not a, a, an observation that is unique to me. Many anthropologists and Christian missionaries have made this observation. My observation is this, that Satan's tactics in the East, right, in Eastern cultures where people actually believe in the spirit realm, the spirit world, his tactics seem to be in those places fear and intimidation. And his primary tactic in the West the Western world and cultures where we typically don't believe in anything beyond the physical realm, what we can just see and hear and touch and taste and smell, his tactics in the Western world seems to be to convince us that he doesn't actually exist. And even if he does exist, it doesn't really matter to our everyday lives. So the strategy in half the world is fear. The strategy in the other half of the world is ignorance. And I don't think he cares which way he gets us as long as he gets us. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, we studied uh, this book earlier in the year. You may re remember this. This is what he said. He's writing to these brand new Christians in the city. This is what he says. We wanted to come to you again and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul is saying, hey, listen, we, we, we wanted to come on a mission trip to, to, to disciple you and teach you the word, and we tried our best to get to you, but we have a real unseen enemy who prevented us again and again from getting to you. The Apostle Paul believed it. Jesus himself believed it. We need to start believing this and taking it very, very seriously. Ignoring the spiritual war behind your daily battles will absolutely, listen to me, will cripple your walk with Jesus. Cripple it. Now, does that mean every time you burn your toast, ah, I see you, Satan. I knew it was you, demons. Let me just from a place of pastoral care. Don't, don't get super weird about this. We've all known Christians who are super weird about this. I don't think that's helpful either. If you wake up in the middle of the night and you step on your kid's Lego, that's unfortunate. You might wanna die for three seconds. Probably not a demon. Your kid probably just needs to clean up before they go to bed, right? So there, there's no need for us to get like wacky and silly about all this, but, but most of us aren't in that camp. Most of us don't have that problem. Most of us are on the other end of the spectrum, willfully ignorant about the supernatural. And what we learn in Daniel 10 is there is a very real, very intelligent, spiritual tactician working even right now to tear apart your marriage. Working right now at night while you sleep to woo your kids and your grandkids away from faith in Jesus Christ. Laboring even right now in this moment to sow seeds of doubt in your own mind and heart. And listen, church family, if we do not wake up and engage this enemy, we're going to keep getting our teeth kicked in, spiritually speaking. And we shouldn't be surprised when it happens because we've been warned that this war is waging all around us and we ought to be taking it far more seriously than most of us do. Verse 15, when he had spoken to me according to these words, this, this angelic being Daniel says, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. He can't even speak. He's just so flabbergasted by this encounter. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. And I said to him who stood before me, oh my Lord, by, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is even left in me. Daniel's got nothing left in the tank. He's telling you that he's running on fumes here. And listen, some of you, I know, you're there right now. 
This morning, you walked in here and you got nothing left in the tank, man. You are running on fumes. Daniel knows exactly where you are. Verse 18, again, one having like the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. What do we do when we have nothing left, when the tank is empty? We do exactly what Daniel does. We go to God in prayer, the one who strengthens us. Verse 19, and he said, oh man, greatly loved. By the way, that's the third time in the last two chapters God has specifically told Daniel that he is greatly loved. In the Hebrew, that could also be translated greatly treasured. Do you see yourself that way, friend? Do you see yourself as greatly loved, greatly treasured by your Father in heaven? Oh man, greatly loved. Fear not. Again, the most common command in the Bible, most frequent command in the Bible, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. Two things you can't get on Amazon.com or Target. Strength and courage. You have to go to God to get those things. And as he spoke to me, I was, I was strengthened. So he goes to God, he gets an answer, he's strengthened in his spirit. God is answering his prayer. Let my Lord speak, for you have, you have strengthened me. He says that the second time. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. Now we know that after Persia, Alexander the Great, Greece come in, they take over, right? As we saw earlier in chapter seven, I believe it was, oftentimes there are real people, real world leaders who are leading, but there's, there's something behind the eyes, something supernatural. There are demonic powers uh, leading and guiding some of these worldly kingdoms and leaders, Verse 21, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these, all these demonic powers, except Michael, your prince. Michael, the, the archangel. Now, this, I believe, should be incredibly encouraging to us. Because this angelic messenger, if you understand this the way that I do, uh, maybe Jesus, if you believe this is a, a Christophany, this angelic messenger, I, I believe likely Gabriel, lets Daniel in on a little secret that he is not fighting this battle alone. That Michael, the Navy SEAL warrior angel, called an archangel in other places in scripture, has been commissioned to fight alongside Daniel. Now, now here's, here's the amazing truth, and I'm gonna put this on the screens for you, and some of you need to hear this. I need to hear this this morning. You are not alone in your battles against your adversary, believers. You are not alone. In fact, I want you to say that. And on the count of three, I want you to say, I am not alone. One, two, three, I am not alone. I think you could do better. One, two, three, I am not alone. You're not alone. You never were alone. You have the word of God, you have the spirit of God, you have Jesus, and apparently we have a divine army that's waging war on our behalf by our side. God is directing a heavenly army, divine navy seals deployed to our side to fight on behalf of God and his people. Now that's good news. That's exciting. The, the example that I kind of thought about as I was studying this passage this week is, and if, if somebody snatched you in the middle of the night, Right, so CIA, FBI. So somebody snatched you for some reason. They said, we're gonna drive you to the inner city of the most dangerous uh, city in the United States at two o'clock in the morning. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna drop you off and just see if you can survive until daylight. Like, would you be feeling good about that? I wouldn't be feeling real, real hot about that. 
Now, now imagine if they said, well, well, here's the second part of it. We're going to drop, drop you off in the middle of the night in the mo most dangerous part of the inner city, uh, in this really dangerous city, uh, but SEAL Team 6 is going to be with you. That kind of changes things a little bit, doesn't it? Right? Like, like I, might, I might actually be walking around the city at 2 o'clock in the morning with a little bit of a swagger at that point. What you looking at, son? Come, 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 come get you some. You see this guy? I got SEAL Team 6 right here with me. You want a piece? Come get a piece. That changes everything. Christian, you have divine SEAL Team 6 watching your 6. This is what Daniel 10 says. Now, life is not an easy life. Jesus never promised us that this life would be an easy life, but he does promise us that we are never alone, and that makes all the difference in the world. Now, this brings to mind, I think, the most uh, epic spiritual warfare passage in the Bible, Ephesians 6. This is Apostle Paul. This will be on the screens for you. Paul writes this. Listen to this. Finally, he's writing Christians, he's writing us, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the, the devil. He believes in the supernatural too. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the, against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate, the body armor of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, let me give you just a, a few practical applications and then we'll be done. When life is hard, which it is oftentimes, if not most of the time for us, when life is hard, number one, first application that I think we get from Daniel chapter 10 is that we have to learn to make our first instinct to pray, to go to God in prayer. And not, not just prayer in general, that's good, but specifically to pray and fast. There, there seems to be something about the combination of prayer and fasting that is particularly powerful in the kingdom of Jesus. Now, do I understand, like, do I have a scientific formula for why that's the case and why that seems to work more than just praying alone? No, I don't really understand it, but this seems to be a pattern in Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus fasted, right? And so if he did it, we probably ought to do it too. So set aside that time to, to pray and fast. It could be for a day. It could be for a week. It could be just fasting from certain things. It seems like Daniel was eating here. He was just not eating and drinking certain things that would remind him to constantly stay before the Lord in prayer. I love this quote from uh, Priscilla Shire, a great author, uh, Christian speaker. She says this, prayer is the portal that brings the power of heaven down to earth. It is kryptonite to the enemy and to all his ploys against you. Church, we gotta learn how to pray. Here's practical application number two we get from Daniel chapter 10. Believer, we have to learn how to embrace our true identity, which is that you are loved by God. And I just wonder, like, like how many of us wake up in the morning and we look in the mirror and our first thought about ourselves is, that guy is loved by God. 
That girl is treasured by the king of this universe. Three times now, in the last three in the last two chapters, Daniel has been told, hey, Daniel, I know life is hard right now. I know things are confusing, but you need to know you are greatly loved by God. And that's exactly what Daniel needed to hear when he was feeling troubled. So Christian, let me, let me just say, uh, and I've said this before, but I'm gonna keep saying it, before you are anything else, before you are white, black, brown, Asian, Democrat, Republican, Tar Heel fan, Duke fan, before you are anything else, if you are in Jesus, you are loved by God. You are chosen, you are called out by the creator of this universe. That's who you are. That is your primary identity. You need to own it. You need to embrace it. You need to sink the roots of that truth deep down into your soul. And I am just, I am convinced now more than ever that too many of us live defeated lives because we're living out of the wrong identity. And Daniel needed to be reminded, hey, your primary identity is you are loved and chosen by God. And many of us, probably all of us, need to be reminded of that today. You are loved, sister. You are loved, brother, by the king of this universe. That needs to be your primary identity. Number three, I think we learned that we've gotta put on our spiritual armor. Listen, stop pretending that you aren't in a war. You are. Whether you wanna be or not, whether you believe you are or not, you are. And you're gonna keep getting your butt kicked if you don't wake up and begin to put the armor of God on and engage your enemy. The, the next one, fourth one, just like it is, take up your weapons. It's not enough just to be defensive in this battle. We've called to, be, to, to go on the offense, to take ground against the kingdom of darkness. Now you'll notice in Ephesians 6, the, the armor uh, passage, Paul never mentions armor for the back. Did you notice that? He never mentions any armor for the back. Why is that? Because we aren't running away from this fight. As the beloved, chosen, loved sons and daughters of the king of this universe, we've been commissioned into this war. And we're not turning back and we're not running away and we're not shrinking down. We are engaging, we are advancing the kingdom of Jesus in a dark world. So take up your weapons. We're not just on the defensive. We're called to take ground from the enemy. And the last one is believer. We have to march into battle with our eyes wide open. Courage and strength, exactly what Daniel was told. And there's only one place where we get these two things. It's from Jesus. Again, I go to Priscilla Shire. This quote will be on the screens for you. She says this, you may have noticed the battles your enemy wages against you, especially the most acute, consistent ones, possess a, a personality to them, an intimate knowledge of, of who you are and the precise pressure points where you can most easily be taken down. Random accident, lucky guess? I don't think so. The areas of greatest fear and anxiety in your life are clues to some important spiritual information. They reveal, among other things, that a personalized strategy has been insidiously put in place to destroy your vibrancy and render you defeated. It's been drawn up on a blackboard by someone who knows where you live and who you love knows your customary tendencies and knows from long experience how to best exploit every single one of them and maybe up until now, it's been working. Now friend, maybe you were ignorant to all of these things when you walked in here, but you cannot walk out of here ignorant now. Brother, sister, the time for us to sit idly by on the sidelines by our enemy, our adversary, 
attempts to mutilate your marriage and torment your kids and your grandkids and slowly suffocate everything good in your life and in this world, that time must be over for us. It's gotta be over for us. We've gotta wake up and engage our enemy. And here's the deal, guys. We can't do this alone. That's true, but here's another truth. You're not alone. None of us have ever been alone, right? You have Jesus. If you know him, you have him. You have his spirit in you. And apparently, according to Daniel chapter 10, we have a host of heavenly warriors that you can't even see that are waging war with you and for you. So if you believe that this is true like I do, man, let's get after this. Let's, like Daniel, let's, let's run to God. Let that be our first instinct. Let's run to God when things are hard in our marriages, when things are hard with our kids, when things are hard at school, in work, in relationships. Let's get after it. Let's run to God. Let's believe his word is true. Let's shine in our Babylon, in Asheville, North Carolina, in 2022, for our good, for the goods of those whom we love and for the glory of our king. Let's pray and then we'll worship. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you and I think our confession, our collective confession would have to be that we don't take these truths nearly seriously enough. My personal confession, Father, would, I'm just being honest, would have to be that a lot of times I'm just willfully ignorant of the spiritual battle raging behind the battles in my life and the battles in this world. Would you remind us, would you instruct us, would you teach our hearts, God, that every war and every battle that we face and we see and we experience in this life is really just a part of a a greater unseen battle. So Father, would you help us to take these truths seriously, not to discount them, to understand that we, like, like Peter said, we have a real enemy who is like a lion who prowls around seeking someone he might destroy and devour. God, help that not be us because we're complacent in our spiritual lives. Help that not be us. Help that not be our kids, our grandkids, those we love, God. Would you protect us? Would you wake us up? Would you give us, like Daniel, the strength and the courage to wage war against our enemy and remind us that in those difficult moments, we never do it alone that we have you, Jesus, that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, leading us. And we have a host of divine angels that are fighting with us and for us to advance the cause of Jesus' kingdom in this world, God. Would you help that to encourage our hearts? Would you help us to engage in this war in a meaningful way, starting right now, starting today, starting this week? We pray, we ask all these things in beautiful name, your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, amen.